everybody, back for another episode of Need Some Introduction. In today's episode, we will be recapping the first three episodes of Nine Perfect Strangers, the new series on FX on Hulu, available on Hulu, and at some point available on FX as well. We've been watching it on Hulu. It just premiered last week. And like I mentioned, these are three episodes all in one shot. So this is a pretty long episode. You can expect to see the follow-up recap episodes to probably drop on Mondays possibly Tuesdays, after everybody has time to watch the show, including ourselves. Also, if you are actually watching Nine Perfect Strangers, you may have already seen the preview for a show called Only Murders in the Building, which is a pretty interesting show for me and Sona to be covering. First of all, it takes place in Manhattan, where Sona lives. Second of all, it has Steve Martin and Martin Short and Selena Gomez, of all people, as a trio of podcasters, which is another interesting intersection here, uh, that are trying to solve a murder that may have occurred in their building. And as they're unraveling this murder, this whodunit, it's possible that they have become the next targets of the murderer themselves. So this is definitely going to be a whodunit. It's going to be a comedy for sure. And uh, we think this is going to be a pretty entertaining topic to cover. And it's starting on the 29th. So at some point as we make these shorter episodes, because like I mentioned before, this is three episodes all in one shot. They will be one episode per week. So these recaps should be uh, shorter. And we'll have time there to review this new show, Only Murders in the Building, as well. Also available on Hulu. And of course, when Evil does come back from hiatus, we will be recapping those episodes as well, probably to a lesser extent, although anything that we might miss along the way, we will definitely have a season retrospective, something to discuss like a season recap, like we did for season one of Evil as well. Also, the Emmy Awards are coming up, and uh, as some of you may know, Mayor of Easttown has many nominations and will probably win a bunch of awards. So if you're catching up on that show, we do have recaps of those episodes so if you want to get caught up on the conversation you don't really have anyone to talk to about these things right now because it's kind of you may have missed the boat well you can always listen to our conversations and feel like you're participating in that very popular and uh, successful show that's in the same feed so look back through the catalog and you'll find them and of course all those things i mentioned as far as recapping this show nine perfect strangers as well as only murders in the building and the return of evil will all be covered here in the same feed. So all that content coming this way, make sure you follow us so you know when that content is available. Anyways, long conversation. Let's get into it. See you on the other side. Today, we will be beginning our recap of Nine Perfect Strangers. I'm with Sona again. Hi. Which is, just started this week with a three-episode premiere on FX on Hulu. Uh, normally, they do show up on Hulu, I think within a week or so. They they air on Hulu first, and then they go to uh, FX because I watched Devs on Hulu, but I know people who watched it on FX. So I don't know exactly how this thing becomes available after the fact, but- um, It's beyond me, that's for sure. <laughs> but if you have Hulu, you can watch it right now, and I'm sure it'll pop up on FX as well if you're watching on cable. Uh, so you can catch up on these uh, later on. Uh, but the show itself is based on a book called Nine Perfect Strangers by Leanne Moriarty, which uh, who also wrote Big Little Lies. And she, of course, had the success on that HBO show um, with Nicole Kidman and mm -hmm. also with David E. Kelly as the creator and one of the writers of the show. David E. Kelly, of course, famous for Oh, a whole bunch of things, right? The Practice, uh, mm -hmm. L.A. Law, Ali McBeal, uh, Picket Fences. And, and I guess he kind of had like a dry spell there for a while. 
Um, and now recently he's kind of had a big resurgence. I think he has like four or five shows on simultaneously, Big Little Lies. And he just did, um, uh, what, what was that show? The un- Was it called The Undoing? Is that what it's called? Yes, The Undoing. So also with Nicole Kidman. Also with Nicole Kidman, right? And Nicole Kidman, also producer on this show as well as on The Undoing. So this is kind of, you know, a partnership between her, Kelly, and she has been buying books uh, to adapt. So... And of course, there's been a lot of success around that as well. So that's kind of a, a pattern we're seeing here. And I think he's married to Michelle Pfeiffer, if I'm not Yes, mistaken. I think they still are still married. Yes, Just I think you're Trivia, correct. yeah. <laughs> and uh, the show does star Nicole Kidman, as well as Melissa McCarthy, Michael Shannon, uh, who else? Samara, uh, Samara Weaving, which I'll kind of go into some of these people. You may have seen them. You'll probably, these are a lot of people that like, I know these people. Oh, Bobby Cannavale, of course, very well known. Regina Hall, who's been around for a long Love time. Love her. Yeah, mm-hmm. and it's fun to see her here. Uh, like not glammed up, but uh, very yes. fun to see her kind mm-hmm. of. Uh, and uh, and I hope they have give her a bigger part than in the book. Kim told me that her part in the book is small. So hopefully they beefed her up considering they got oh, Regina okay. Hall for the role. I assume they made her part bigger. They have uh, Manny Jacinto, by the way, from uh, The Good Love Place. Him. Great on yes. The Good Place. Yeah, so a lot of people here that are very recognizable we'll kind of break down who they are later on as well um, when we kind of dig into it. So the, the, I'll just give you a really general overview. We're going to go through three episodes in one shot, possibly break them all down like we probably will in more detail in the later uh, episodes. But uh, so I'll just give you a very high level um, uh, uh, overview. But the, the basically the premise is that these uh, nine perfect strangers are going to uh uh, go to a a retreat, tran- tranquilum, right? Tranquilum, tranquilium, and, tranquilium. Yes, tranquilium, of course. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, a ten day retreat. Um, and so far, for the first three episodes, it seems to be going day by day. But there's only eight episodes, so maybe that's a spoiler in the structure of the show, mm. possibly. Um, uh, and uh, uh, so they go on this retreat. They all have their own baggage that we are not given access to right away. I think it's part of the mystery of the show itself, maybe how these people might potentially be interconnected. And basically we meet these nine strangers and they go on this retreat together and they have many different experiences. Just based on the premise, this seems like my idea of a dream vacation, but it doesn't doesn't seem like it's going to turn out that way, but it seems like paradise. It's a beautiful setting. You know, lots of time to just be Zen and do yoga and sit by the pool and all of that stuff. So like it it has this setup of being, I think, very um, attractive, the idea of putting yourself in an experience like this. Although, you know, I suspect it's not going to work out that way by the end. That was my first question I had for you as I was watching this is, I mean, obviously this is completely heightened, but, um, you know, you, I, I have never been on one of these type of um, retreats and I know you uh, enjoy these type of retreats, right? You've been on a few of these, um, not exactly like this, of course. Yeah, not, you know. <laughs> a, not at this high level, but yeah, Correct. I do enjoy the spa experience and all of that. Yeah. So I was just curious to know from your personal experiences of going to these spas and these kind of retreats, like how, you know, how uh, this is obviously a caricature. That's the whole point of making a TV show out of it. But to what extent is this, does this feel realistic? As far as like, you know, having these kind of team building activities, having these, you know, uh, maybe some kind of, um, you know, uh, uh, spiritual therapy, let's call it or things like that. Like, is that something that you think is a part of this culture? I mean, it definitely is a part of this culture, right? But I mean, how, how close is this to something that you think could be realistic as opposed to this being a complete cartoon? What do you, what do you think? 
You know, I haven't, again, I haven't done it at this level of like a Canyon Ranch type of scenario. Yes. That's a really famous one. Um, there's a few other really famous, Miraval, Life in Balance. That's a, a famous one. Uh, but my experiences are that like, it is very uh, similar to what I have experienced, except for that psychological component that seems right. to be there where you're discussing your deepest, darkest demons. Um, I don't think most of uh, most of those places don't really have the time or resources to get into that with you. And I think they focus more on the idea of physical well-being leading to mental well-being. I mean, maybe uh, to the extent of meditation and yoga, but not really in this uh, confronting your demons way, or you know, when we get to the third episode, this idea of living off the land, that kind right. of thing, uh, seems a bit extreme. I will say one thing that is kind of uh, novel that I'll bring up, and it, it hasn't happened here. I don't know if it will happen here, but you know, there's a place in Massachusetts called Crippaloo, uh, mm -hmm. Crippaloo Institute. I'm not sure exactly, but. Uh, my mom has been there. I haven't been there. Uh, and they run a bunch of programs that, you know, maybe are more similar to what is shown here. Um, and one of the programs they run, which my mom has done, and it's a very Eastern religion thing to do, is you sign up to go for a certain number of days. My mom might have done three or four days. Um, and it's a silent retreat. You're not allowed to speak at all. Um, yes. And that to me always seemed, I don't think I'm a chatterbox necessarily, but that always seemed to me something that would be insurmountable <laughs> for me to accomplish. Um, well, but let, me, let me just interject re really quickly. Uh, two, two things. One is that Kim, my wife, uh, uh, has been to Canyon Ranch, by the way, but mm -hmm. and I've never, I, I actually should ask her, you know, the same question I asked you yeah. about how close this is. But uh, when she told me about Canyon Ranch, uh, she basically described it as she was the type of person that she had people who went to Canyon Ranch with her and her and one of her friends who were both had been personal trainers. They basically did tons of activities, hiking and this and that and the other mm -hmm, thing. Mm -hmm. But other folks were just like kind of chilling out and like getting massages right. and staying in their room. So it still seemed very much like you were describing that it's very much just kind of like a lot of different activities and you can do as many of them as you want. Right. They're not necessarily necessarily trying to force you out of your comfort zone, but they'll right. urge you out of your comfort zone. Um, and I do think some of them do have very restricted diets as well, which might be something that you can opt in and out of. But I do think some of them are super healthy, you know, very like um, no animal protein, stuff like yeah. that. Yeah, well, they definitely had a, a, a controlled diet uh, at, at Canyon Ranch. I, I guess you could mm -hmm. opt in and out, but I mean, they, they had a lot of those options. Oh, but the last thing I wanted to mention is in the book itself, which she is currently reading, she's almost finished mm -hmm. with it, and maybe she'll come on at some point to add some of yeah. the detail, but I wanted to let you know that the first five, uh, I'm sorry, the first half of the book and the first five days that they are on the uh, in the compound is silent. So they cannot oh, wow. speak for the whole entire first five days. So it's very different from what's yeah. happening in the show right now. Obviously it's very di difficult to make this, uh, but uh, you know, uh, dramatic uh, in, you know, if no one could speak, yes, but what course. she was describing yeah. is that uh, apparently in the book, almost the whole entire first half of the book is these people who are uh, not only silent, but they are very interior. Like we're discovering all these like traumas yes. Uh, basically in their own heads because they are not interacting with each other, right? Not, I mean, they're, they're brushing against each other and they're curious about each other, but they're not like having this kind of- um, Interactions. Yeah, we're yeah. not seeing these kind of like animosity breaking out the way we see on the show already. Yeah. It's a, at a very different tempo, basically. Yeah, I mean, you can imagine, right? What happens when you're left alone with your own thoughts? It's kind of terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. <laughs>
uh, so back into the show. So we begin, uh, and by the way, uh, my wife has filled me in uh, just as far on that first episode that where we begin in the episode is very different than the show okay. that uh, the, uh, the, the uh, book begins with, with uh, Masha having her episode, which I guess we'll just go into detail a bit later. We'll leave it until we get to it in the story, but okay. that kind of happens initially. And then it's almost like, you don't know what that episode means right Mm -hmm. and then we get then we basically you know in chapter two or chapter three like pretty early on we um start to uh basically have the the sequence we see in the show so this is the same where they are uh, arriving at the the ranch Mm -hmm. that we get introduced to everybody right so the first car we see is uh the family right we have a a, a husband a wife and a daughter michael shannon who people probably know from a bunch of things. He was in Boardwalk Empire. He was, I think he got an Oscar nomination for Revolutionary Road. Uh, he's in a great movie called Take Shelter. If you've never seen it, it's very, very good with Jessica Chastain in him. It, it's excellent. Um, psychological thriller. Very, very good. Ah. He's very intense. He's a very intense actor. Usually plays a bad guy. He was Zod in the new Superman movies. So he's usually a bad guy. But uh, I do like when they cast him as, you know, a, a, in a non-threatening role. Uh, <laughs> although they kind of give him, court, like, I've seen him, like, just be a straight up romantic lead, for example. Uh, this is like kind of a splitting the difference where he obviously is, is a, a dad figure, but he also has a, a real intensity to him too, right? So, mm-hmm. they, so uh, especially in the most recent episode, which we'll get into the third episode where he, uh, you know, acts out, let's say. The daughter is Grace Van Patten. She's playing Zoe. And uh, I've only seen her, I guess she's been in a bunch of things, maybe like teen movies and stuff. I saw her only in the Meyerowitz Chronicles on Netflix. And uh, that's a great movie. She plays Adam Sandler's uh, daughter and it's really, really good Okay. Movie. And uh, she gives a really good performance there. This is a few years back, maybe two, three years ago now at this point. The uh, uh, the wife is an Australian actress, which I've never seen in anything at all, but apparently she's pretty well known in Australia. This show was shot in Australia, by the way, although it's supposed to be in California. It was shot oh, during COVID. It was shot during COVID. And, uh, you know, uh, there's a, quite a few people in the cast who are, uh, Samara Weaving is also um Australian. So there's a lot of Australians. I think it's very cute that you're referring to COVID in the past tense, by the way, but go ahead. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) Well, when when they weren't shooting, that's why, you know, I I mentioned it because this is back when Australia had almost zero cases at that point. So they could. Yes. Australia was the place to be. Yeah, Yeah, Mm -hmm. exactly. Uh, So ironically enough, the, oh, and there's the other thing that's very funny about it. The book is set in Australia. The show is shot in Australia but they've transposed it from Australia to California. To to California. Hmm. Uh, and yet, you know, the cast is <laughs> very Australian as well. That's so funny. very strange uh, combination of things. But but for the purposes of the show, we're supposed to be in California, not in Australia. And uh, and that's the family we meet, right? And uh, we see a little tension uh, amongst them. Uh, and we find out more about what's happening in the family later, which is very sad, by the way. But mm-hmm. Devastating, yeah. Especially with the twin situation, but I guess- yeah. We're- flesh that out as we get into it. And then uh, the next uh, car we see is Samara Weaving, who uh, had a big breakout a couple of years ago with a horror movie called Ready or Not, uh, a deadly uh, game of hide and seek. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, and I, it was like a big hit a couple of years ago. And it was kind of like on the wave of this um, upper class, lower class. Uh, uh, there's a bunch of horror movies that kind of came out that kind of talked about the class struggle. And this was one of them. And uh, she had a real breakout in that. And now she's going to be, she's been signed up for a bunch of projects. So she's going to be in a lot of different things. And, uh, and she's here, she's playing like kind of like an Instagram famous model or maybe just a personality who's married to Melvin Gregg. 
And mm-hmm. uh, Melvin Gregg started off in, uh, I think he was just a basketball player, possibly not a professional basketball player, but um, he was in a Netflix show called American Vandal, which is hilarious. If you've never seen it, it's very funny. I have heard good things about it and I haven't seen it. Yeah. Oh my God. This show is so funny. If people haven't watched it, definitely catch up on this. It's like a fake reality show made by supposedly in the context of the show made by like high schoolers that somebody is a vandal who's going around, um, uh, putting uh, like um, sexually explicit graffiti on the uh, the cars in the parking lot, and they're trying to unravel <laughs> who <laughs> come in. So it's like mocks all of the you know uh, different techniques that you see in these true crime dramas, and it's mm-hmm. absolutely hilarious. And that's the first time I ever saw this actor. And then I saw him again playing a basketball player. Yet again, by the way, played a basketball player in that show. Played a basketball player in High Flying Bird, which I also recommended recently, a movie that just came out last year, also on Netflix. And now I think this is the, I mean, I don't know if he's acted in between there, but this is the third time I've seen him and his, his roles seem to be getting a little bit bigger and his, um, you know, his, uh, the, the amount that's required of him is, uh, you know, as an actor is getting um, more complex. He's a more fleshed out character here. But anyway, yeah, so he, he's plays the husband and we find out how he got rich. He's driving a very nice car when we meet them mm-hmm. and he's kind of annoyed for his wife being on the phone all the time, you know, trying to Instagram the trip. And of course, they have to surrender their car. They have to surrender their their phones when they get to the resort, which they don't know yet. Yeah, I found this couple very likable, actually. And uh, I also, even though, you know, I expected to find the influencer character annoying, but I find her really likable. And I, I love how in that first scene, she's doing that um, Kardashian vocal fry kind of voice. So you get immediately, you know, the type of personality she is and the type of audience she attracts. But I think you're right. Like she could be a very, they, someone could have played her, let's say, in a very, very like kind of irritating way. Yes. And, then, and that's uh, what I expected. Right. And then humanize her later. And I feel like you said that she's like kind of vacuous, but she, there is something kind of likable and charming about her. She seems yeah. kind of like naive, not naive. I, I, I don't mean naive. I mean, there's something kind of like, sincere i'd say about mm-hmm. her so that I she agree. never feels like she is you know obnoxious she's not putting anyone down she seems to be good hearted and then we find out you know about her her yes. own you know personality issues later on they humanize her immediately rather than trying to make her into like a, a caricature and then just to poke fun at right i agree and that was a nice surprise for me because i thought i knew what they were going to do with her character and i was surprised so with that, that's five of the folks. Oh, and then we meet Melissa McCarthy, right? Who's, of course, the biggest name in this project, for sure. Uh, and how great is this character? <laughs> yeah. I she, love her. <laughs> yeah, so she is, well, she is openly uh, irritating. And I think that she, and, and they let her go very big because I think she has, you know, because she's Melissa McCarthy, yes. and because she can play this type of character anyway, she uh, gets away with <laughs> being like maybe the most unlikable character I love it. in, I in love the it. show. And, uh, and she basically uh, finds out she's an author and we find out a lot more about her, but she, I guess she's like kind of a Stephanie Myers, like a, uh, someone like who wrote like a book, like Twilight or something, some kind of romance that was very viral and very successful. And I guess like her career just has gone down since then her success, I should say. And, uh, and then she's basically getting fired. So she's getting fired from her publisher uh, as she's arriving at the resort. And she basically has like a, a breakdown in the middle of the road. And that's when Bobby Cannavale, you know, comes in and, and kind yes. of tries to help, quote unquote, <laughs> and mm-hmm. uh, in the most stereotypical way. And then we get introduced to him as well. And But in this, in this opening interaction, which was so fun to watch for me, um, I loved his closing of, you know, you're a tragic person. 
many times have you wanted to say that to someone (laughs) when you realize why am I even wasting my time here (laughs) I'm done (laughs) I do like all the jokes about like how she's trying to like basically get rid of him by saying like you know oh I'm having a hot flash or something like anything to do with menstruation would scare him off doubles down right I'm like have you tried progesterone or (laughs) yeah and then uh and then later she tries to say uh oh I have cramps (laughs) He goes like, I don't think you can have cramps and uh, hot flashes. (laughs) First of all, I think it is possible to have cramps and hot flashes. So I will defend her on that. But um, I think it's so funny because that is such a stereotypical thing that would work on so many men of our generation anyway. Maybe, you know, the younger generation is more progressive. But to just say like, you know what? It's that time of the month. And then they just back away. Right. right. (laughs) Like too much information. I'm out. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But he's he's got more advice. Exactly. Yeah. And then we finally find out more about him, actually, just in the third episode, where you kind of get his backstory. So that gets us to uh, seven, right? And we got two left. And uh, we meet the last two at a, basically at a convenience store. One is Luke Evans, who we find out very little about. He is the shadiest of these characters so Mm -hmm. far. We really don't know his, um, uh, I was actually just uh, talking to my wife about it this morning. It's like out of, uh, and I guess she knows his backstory because she's right right ahead. But but up until uh, now, we'll get into it when we get, break down the episode. But like, we still don't know what his agenda is. He definitely has some agenda going on, but we don't know yet what his, um, what that agenda is. He's like kind of leaking information and he's, um, I don't know if he's reviewing them or he's a journalist or something, because there's something else going on here. Mm -hmm. Um, And I don't know exactly what that is yet. And he also is there buying some snacks, which are like prohibited. on on Contraband. Yeah. And simultaneously, he's also there with Regina Hall, which we mentioned before, Mm -hmm. who plays... Luke Evans is called Lars and Regina Hall's character is Carmel. Uh-huh. And, uh, and they meet each other there and they have a mean interaction. And we also see that Carmel kind of gets affronted uh, uh-huh. by, um, you know, so she's very sweet on the outside, but then she has like this, she can uh, go off and we see her go off a few uh-huh. times. <laughs> she has a hair trigger apparently. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, we kind of see a little bit of, of it there, just a tease of it there, but we'll see more of it as the, the show goes on. Oh, I wanted to call out a couple of things here. One is, which reminded me actually of White Lotus is I really liked um, the director here, by the way, directing the entire show. It's of like sometimes you get multiple directors this is all directed by jonathan levine who's done a bunch of uh, movies uh he did like 50 50 but he's also made uh he made long shot recently with uh charlize theron and uh seth rogan yeah that was a good movie very entertaining yeah Yeah, so he's he's been around for a while now he's made some pretty good films here and there because i really liked the i like the title sequence as kind of like setting a a tone. I thought it was pretty cool. And I also like the opening sequence of like the blender blending the, um, the, yes. the making the smoothies, which is like yes. a motif. It kind of comes back mm-hmm. multiple times and it mm-hmm. actually has, you know, it, it's actually, I guess they're teasing it because it ties into the plot later on. Yeah. But, uh, but I actually really love just the visuals of like these kind of like these things that are separate kind of blending together, which mm-hmm. I guess is kind of what the show is going to be about also, but I thought it was a very interesting uh, and kind of beautiful way to start the show off. Yeah. It's very pretty. Um, so yeah, so that's how, how it kicks off before we kind of get introduced to all these characters. Then they arrive at the spa and they start to butt heads almost immediately. Right. But was there anything that kind of grabbed you right away? Like, Um, I, I liked it a lot. I mean, really this show had me from the start, I feel, uh, because I just, I am really interested in these characters. I find them likable. I like the way they're interacting with each other. I like the, um, I know we said we'd use character names, but I, I don't. Melissa McCarthy is Francis. Yeah. Bobby Cannavale is 
Tony. Who? Tony. I like the Francis Tony interactions that they've started, you know, from the first moment that they saw each other, essentially. Um, and I like how that relationship is continuing to evolve. Uh, and yeah, I mean, I, I thought it was great. I liked everyone's alarm at losing their phones because I certainly would be alarmed as <laughs> yeah. well if I was not prepared for that. I felt, and Kim was mentioning this in the context of the book, but I felt right away, even like in those early interactions that they were setting up um, Melissa McCarthy and uh, I guess I'll use their names again too, Francis and Tony <laughs> to be a couple. Do you think that they're going to hook up on the show? It wouldn't surprise me. I don't know if it's necessarily being set up that way at this point, but it definitely wouldn't surprise me. It just felt that way to me. You know, even from the very start, I kind of felt like there was just something there. And, and as it's evolved, you know, obviously they've become friendlier throughout the show. And I guess yes. that, that's kind of the direction of where, where it goes. And then we get introduced to Damasha until who's Nicole Kidman's character who uh, runs the and founded the resort. To be honest with you, we probably are supposed to be fascinated with this character, but yeah, I am not. I agree. I agree. <laughs> So <laughs> I've never been the biggest Nicole Kidman fan. I'm not anti-Nicole Kidman, but I'm just neutral about her. And, you know, as I, I texted you, the only text exchange we had about the show is that yeah. I'm essentially tone deaf. I don't know a good accent from a bad accent, but I'm pretty sure this is a bad accent. This is a bad accent. And yeah, I agree. I, I used to be a huge fan of Nicole Kidman. I used to think like, I, I mean, I used to be like anything she makes, I would go see. This is back when she was only making movies. Because I felt like even if the, the movie wasn't great, you know, her performance would be really great. There's a movie, for example, called Birth uh, that came out maybe 10 years ago, maybe more at this point, where she um, lives in uh, New York and her husband um, is in the very first scene, not a spoiler, very first scene of the movie during the title sequence, actually. He's like a young, healthy guy. He's going for a run and just unexpectedly has a heart attack in Central Park. It's snowing. It's a beautiful I've seen that movie. Can you remind me what the plot of it is after that? Oh, it's really crazy. Um, I was just talking about this with my nephews because they they basically had an idea for a movie and I'm like, that movie's been made already. <laughs> and uh, the uh, idea was basically that um, and then a little boy shows up at her doorstep Yes, and he basically knows all these things about her, these intimate things about her. And he's saying that I'm your husband. Like I'm like the reincarnation yes. of your husband. And she basically has like a nervous breakdown and, uh, you know, uh, and it's basically just like her trying to deal with this, uh, situation. Right. Yes. I have seen that movie. Yeah. Hmm. Wow, I haven't anyway, thought she, about that one in a long time. And I didn't remember her being in it even. Which oh, really? Wow. Bizarre. I mean, the yeah, movie but... is so much about her. I mean, there's this great scene in it for me where you basically see her like going through the, this gamut of emotions. She's at an opera and the whole movie is just playing out on her face. She doesn't say a word. And I really like this type of acting where you can see what someone's thinking without mm -hmm. them speaking. And uh, anyway, she, she she's really just great in that. And I think she got some award nominations, although the film did not do well. But the, um, uh, yeah, anyway, so I used to found that, find her to be a very, very interesting actress. And now, and this is probably just a critique of Hollywood, that basically only interesting roles for women in general are in TV. They're not on in the movies. Mm. And I think that's why she's kind of transitioned to television. But I find her roles so far the one she's picked and you know even as a producer she produces a lot of these this content i find her not that interesting in these roles to be honest so i like this is not a very not yet anyway a very interesting character right not think. yet yeah. yeah and potentially there might be a lot more to her right so um so maybe there is something that appealed to her i mean obviously she wanted to produce the show so maybe there was and she could have probably played any role right so she true good chose point 
chose this yes. role for a reason, I guess. Yes. Uh, I guess she does bring some like, you know, there are moments where like she kind of steps into the light and she's supposed to be all ethereal. And I guess she does have that feel to her, but uh, but that's not enough of, her, of a character, right? So yeah. well, hopefully there's more for her mm-hmm. to do as the show progresses. So yeah, so we get introduced to these different characters and I guess each one of them gets to have like a one-on-one with Nicole Kidman, right? Melissa McCarthy is the first yes. one to have one this episode, right? And we not only find out, you know, about her fears about her career changing, but we also find out that she apparently was the victim of like one of these romance scams, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Which was funny. Like my, uh, we uh, we were listening. Me and uh, Kim were listening to a podcast when she first started listening to this, and she's like, "Oh, that's happening in my book." <laughs> That's happening in the book mm-hmm. I'm reading. <laughs> it happened to be this book because she was reading on a vacation. But, and um, um, nice yeah. little like cameo there in the flashback oh, that yes. she has, right? Like that's her real life husband, yep. isn't it? Ben yeah. Falcone. Yep, exactly. Right. Yeah, he always pops up. And uh, as a matter of fact, he's directed a few of the movies she's been in. And he also uh, always pops up like he was um, her love interest in uh, Bridesmaids, for example. Right. So mm-hmm. uh, he's been in a lot of her, her films. Everything seems pretty straightforward at this point, right? Yeah, like, I feel I, like this was a big, you know, understandably so, like a setup episode. Of- right. What we're going to see. And I think, you know, by the time we got to episode three, we were like in it. So yeah, they yeah. made a lot of progress, I think, in these three episodes. I, that's an interesting point you bring up is that um, two things. One is I expected because they were dropping three episodes at once that, like you said, the first episode was a lot of setup. So mm-hmm. they probably wanted to put out more of the show to hook people in. Right. Yeah. And, I mean, I felt episode three was really compelling. I felt so. Yeah. And the reveal at the end of that, which I'll wait for a few more minutes before we mm. reveal what that is, that uh, uh, that apparently doesn't come into play in the book until, you know, Kim was uh, basically getting to that point of the book right as I was getting to it in the show. So it's okay. deep, it's deep into the book, like two thirds, three quarters of the way through the book okay. before mm-hmm. that revelation comes. And I when she told me that there was a a twist and she didn't want to tell me what it was. Um, uh, I was like, I bet you whatever that twist is, is going to drop <laughs> at the end of these uh-huh. three episodes. Cause it's uh-huh. going to be the hook to keep people coming yeah. back. But I will just say that in the credits, they should tell us what lipstick Melissa McCarthy is wearing because it looks fantastic on her. And I would like to know. <laughs> wow. I didn't realize that you were, there was a, you're having such a love affair with Melissa McCarthy. <laughs> I generally, you know, I like her just fine. I don't um, love her generally. I also, you know, I'm not the biggest fan of slapstick comedy. Yeah. So for that reason, a lot of her movies, I find them just fine. But here I am really, really liking her here. Yeah, I like I like her when she doesn't play the stereotypical thing. I found her, you know, she became a hugely successful, obviously very, very famous person. But I found her performances were getting a little tiresome for me. Like it was too much of the mm-hmm. same thing. Yeah. And I did Pulling like that. And I do like when she uh, changes up because I do think she's a very talented actress. Um, but one movie I want to call out because I think it's absolutely hysterically funny is Spy. Have you ever seen Spy? That one. You know, it's one of so those funny. that I think I saw it on a plane. So I, I can't really give it a, an objective opinion. But I, I rarely laugh out loud and I laughed out loud. I mean, you know, I'll laugh out loud in the theater because, you know, it's kind of contagious, but I, I rarely laugh out loud when I'm just yeah. watching something by myself. And that movie made me laugh so many times. It's uh, very, very funny. I will say, um, moving away from the Melissa McCarthy point, which I'm sure we'll return to, though, um, right. one thing that I really liked about this, in contrast to Mayor of Easttown, which I did love, love, love Mayor of Easttown, 
But, you know, many times I commented to you, my God, we need to stop meeting new people. This is too yeah. much. Um, here, this is like a very nice confined universe, you know, possibly due to COVID. <laughs> and, um, right. But it's a very nice to know that like I have met all the main characters and now we're just going to see how things play out. I mean, maybe one or two more we'll meet. I don't know. But I don't um, have that disconcerting feeling of like, oh, my gosh, I can't keep track of all these people. Here's another really funny correlation to White Lotus and this show. Um, mm -hmm. You know, just to, to, to briefly bring it up, it's the fact that, um, you know, like uh, in episode one, somewhat similarly, we have a certain number of people, they're arriving on this resort, you know, so there's some basic parallels there. But one behind the scene thing that does correlate here was that these shows were both produced at around the same time because they mm -hmm. were COVID friendly. Right. Mm -hmm. Basically, the... Uh, uh, you know, when they were shooting White Lotus, they're like, can you shoot in Hawaii? Because they had like no COVID there. Yeah. Uh, you know, you can shoot outdoors at all times. So, you know, you don't have to worry about uh, quarantining people. And most of the scenes are scene partners like they are here. Yes. So you can imagine if you like, you know, the uh, on White Lotus that the family has to shoot scenes together. Like they're really not interacting with 25 other people per day. <laughs> they're only really interacting with a very small group of people. So you could kind of keep, uh, you know, any kind of outbreak theoretically would be in just a part of the cast. So you could keep shooting while those people are quarantined, let's say, and then you can pick up their scenes yes. later on, right? So it was just very, and I think very similarly here, once again, you're shooting outdoors, you are in a place where there's very little uh, COVID. And, uh, and if someone got sick, because most of the time you're having these scenes with, with scene partners, I mean, we did have some group, uh, a bunch of group sh um, scenes in the third episode, but uh, you could imagine if they had to happen to have an outbreak, then it'd be like, hey, whoever's not sick today, <laughs> we'll shoot all your scenes yes. and we'll just pick up the other scenes later on. Although <laughs> like, I it's will not, say. It's not 80 people we need for the cast. No, that's true. Structurally so far is that one day is one episode. So the yes. first uh, day is their arrival. And then we see the shot again of the smoothies, of course. So um, it's uh, the blender going again, and they're all getting their custom smoothies. Mm -hmm. And wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Everybody has to only have their own smoothies. Yes. And, uh, don't share your smoothies. They're specially uh, concocted for your um, you know, uh, health requirements and, and your yes. goals. Like some people want to lose weight. Some people want mental um, tranquility or whatever. So they, there's, they supposedly have uh, formulated this. And right away, did you get a red flag right away? I got a red flag right away when I heard that. Oh, of course. And also, you know, just speaking practically, if I'm out and about with my family or friends, like, oh, yours looks good. Let me taste yeah, it. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> that requires some discipline too. Um, but yes, for sure, there's something going on there. Well, what's funny is that, you know, once again, in the book, uh, I haven't read the book, but I did run this by Kim. And uh, I already actually knew the answer to this before I even asked her, which was, I said, did they have any kind of speech like that in the book? And she goes, no, they don't speak to each other. And they're not really supposed to interact that much for the first right. five days. So I'm like, so yeah, they're not <laughs> during the during the detox, no one's sharing food because they're not even talking to each other. So and then you're not going to just grab someone's drink when you can't speak to them. Yeah. <laughs> you know, if you're hanging out together, sure. You know, but <laughs> and that's that's a good point. That would be really freaky, right? If someone did that to you, but uh, <laughs> just ran over and picked up your drink and started drinking it. <laughs> um, but and you know, put that together with the fact that they seem to be like taking blood every opportunity they can get yes. from everybody. <laughs> right. so, so it's still in one place too long, and the phlebotomist will come up. So. <laughs> exactly. exactly. Although that doesn't make sense, I could imagine something like that if you are like, let's say you're on a special diet, or you are like on, you know, like they used to have like those old, you know, derogatory term here for anybody. I don't mean this uh, derogatory way, but like the old fat farms, quote unquote, that they would send people to to lose weight. 
uh, sometimes like Hollywood actresses and stuff would have to go spend time. And then they would be like checking their, you know, they would put them on crazy diets and then they would have to tra- check them on a regular basis. So it makes kind of sense. But I can imagine like if you're there to like whatever, get like uh, to meditate more with your family, it's like, why are you taking my blood all the time? Right. <laughs> you know, I'm not on any kind of, uh, you know, diet restrictions, like what, what's happening? Yeah. So that's, I was immediately like, oh, like I had uh, kind of uh, suspected that there's something yep. going on with those shakes. Luke Evans' character, Lars. Uh, so yeah, let's get into a little bit about his mystery. He has not surrendered his phone, or I guess he surrendered his phone, but he still has a smartwatch, uh, a, right. a, a, an Apple phone or something. He's socked it away like in the the woods. Right. Um, and uh, he has been, He's is he sending an email or is that just notes he's taking when he's like, at one point he's like saying things about Masha. He's say, like, he's kind of almost like doing a review of the first day. Is that something that he's texting to someone, emailing somebody, or is that just notes that he's taking? Do you, do, can you get a feel for that? I wasn't clear to me at all. I'm not sure, to be honest. So for some reason, I read it as if he was actually speaking to someone, like he's like leaking information. And then he's interrupted by, I think, a boyfriend, maybe? Like that's not even clear either. They're definitely, I They were the involved at some point, right? Yes, they're definitely an ex-boyfriend, yes. And apparently he seems like he's the bad guy. The boyfriend kind of seems like, oh, like- uh, you know, anyway, once again, it's all kind of ambiguous, but it seems like yes. he has done something that pushed this guy away. Right. So he's yeah. in and, and he and you could see that, you know, he is very, by the way, this is where what's notable about the scene. He's basically like antagonistic to everybody he speaks to, but he does seem to be ingratiating himself with this guy. So I guess he's trying to make amends, possibly considering that he's not nice to anybody else on the show for any reason. I mean, I um, thought he was nice oh, no. to the daughter. Yes, they do have a friendship. No, no, no. Yeah. I take that back. Yes, the two yeah. of them start to bond. That's correct. Yeah. So while while he's doing this, uh, you know, nefarious, uh, you know, note taking or or mm-hmm. whatever communications he's doing on the side, he gets caught by Zoe and um, the daughter in the Napoleon is the father um, and Heather, yes. the, the mother's name of the couple. And they start to bond. She like basically catches him. She like teases him about it. And then he uh, likes that she kind of has that sense of humor. And they do. You're right. They, they actually start to form a friendship. So that seems to be the only <laughs> the right. only person there. Yes. Um, I mean, as a matter of fact, not only is he not friendly with anybody else, he's openly antagonistic to just about yes. anybody else, right? Um, he mocks them all for what, like he literally identifies what they're there for. And then he mocks them about it. So yes. it's pretty, pretty <laughs> cruel behavior on his part. Yeah. Uh, but he does get along with uh, with uh, with uh, Zoe, and then and yeah, and that's actually an important scene there that she catches him, and so she knows that he's doing this, and she doesn't rat him out or anything. Although they do find out eventually, and uh, take away his phone, and he's not happy. Mm-hmm. And what else happens in that second episode? That's not when they do. do the, is that when they do the? Um, they dig the graves. Is that the episode? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I believe it is. Yeah. Okay, so my personal nightmare would be being yes. forced to dig my own grave, lay down in it, and have someone throw dirt on me. I think I would actually have a full-on nervous breakdown. This is a really uncomfortable scene because not only because, you know, just uh, having to dig your own grave and then lay in it, which is uh, problematic enough. Uh, although we do see uh, it's uh, Tony, right, who goes back to the grave? Is that Tony? Who mm-hmm. goes back to the I believe so, Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's that's interesting to see that, but also it's the fact that, and I guess we'll get into it now. But we find out that the trauma that uh, Heather and Napoleon and Zoe are going through is that not only that that uh, was it three years ago, three years prior, on yes. his 18th birthday, that, the day before his 18th birthday, the day said. before his 18th yeah. birthday, correct. 
that um, the Zoe's twin brother committed suicide on his yes. on his birthday, and um, and it seemed to be unexpected from what uh, the the family is saying so far, anyway. And of course, this is very traumatic for them to kind of be directly addressing. And of all the people, everybody's kind of uncomfortable with this. Some people take it seriously. Some people don't take it so seriously. But um, but the uh, the family seems to be um, upset about this for, for sure. Mm-hmm. And I guess, actually, I thought this was at the end of episode two, but I actually guess it's the end of episode one, which is when they're in that circle. Mm-hmm. And where Masha is mm-hmm. uh, talking about that, like how they're, you know, basically talking about death, actually, and like confronting them yes. with it. And Heather gets very mad at Masha. Yes. And then uh, Masha, and then they, she said to Masha, if, if, you know, basically, are you trying to F with us? And Masha's like, I'm yes. trying to F with all of you. Yes. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. so apparently she's like, that's what you're here for. And uh, yes. so that happens. Uh, yeah. Cause I realized that happens before. Because it's uh, you know the, the 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 burial, which is in episode two, so that they're really harping on this um, this death thing. So uh, and, and of course, I guess the intention is like some kind of tough love for this family to get over this. Uh, you know, like uh, I assume that these activities are structured to uh, you know for for these uh, these people. And I guess you know I'll mention that here now too, is that the the it seems to be that Masha is like profiling these people and putting them together, right? Right. It's a specially assembled group. Yes. And I actually th- just thought about this today when I was saying out loud, nine perfect strangers. And I think that he, he, she's like saying, we need all of them. It's not going to work without all of them. Yes. And I think that it's like a recipe, right? It's like the blender, right? Yeah. I think that she's mm-hmm. saying nine perfect strangers because there's that terminology, perfect strangers in that we don't know each other. We're perfect strangers. But I think she's saying these are nine perfect strangers. Like they have perfect they for each other. Perfect yeah. together. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So I think there's something that they're trying to concoct here. Uh, a smoothie <laughs> they're trying to make out of this group. Yes. <laughs> Hopefully not. <laughs> Literally. <laughs> that could be the a, final uh, twist. A trauma smoothie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Exactly. But um, yeah, so, uh, you know, th- there's a lot of this kind of conf- direct confrontation with death. And of course that most directly pertains to this really tragic story. And, uh, and how do you feel about like the, you know, the family, their, their, their interactions and uh, the, the performances here just in general with that, I think it was really well done. I think it um, is a very realistic thing to have one person um, here, the the mom in a couple, um, having dealt with death, you know, of family members and in my relationship. I think it's, you know, very realistic to have one person who is full on confronting everything, feeling all her feelings, and the other trying to be strong, right? Because they can't both break down at the same time. So, you know, somebody has got to keep it going. Somebody has got to be the stable force. So the other person to close off those emotions, because first of all, it's so painful to confront it. And second, because practically speaking, it's just not a good idea for both people to be in that dark place at the same time. But of course, like that doesn't make it any less uh, real and it doesn't mean that you're not experiencing the trauma just because you're not allowing yourself to have that experience you're I mean you're still going through it and you can only push it away for so long before you're forced to confront it for one reason or another so um, all of that seemed very realistic to me and um, the daughter also you know having I, I can't even imagine what it is to lose a sibling right. never mind lose a twin right um, like your other half right yep. is gone yep. so 
so all of this seemed to me very um, a very realistic dynamic. Yeah, I actually like this part of the show. I have I, I I'm not as engaged with the show as you are, but the thing that's one of the things that keeps me going. I mean, I'm just intrigued in general to kind of mm-hmm, what they're going to mm-hmm. do with it. I don't know if they're really going to land it, but I am curious to see what they're going to try to do with it. Uh, but the um, but I think that of the things that work for me, the best in the show is this family, and of course they're the ones who have probably been most fleshed out because I liked that. I kind of had expectation of what the interactions were going to be, but I liked by the time we get to the third episode, I like how it's all become more complex. It might be in this episode itself where we see the mother, you know, standing at the edge of a cliff. And there's actually a very good scene where one of the, uh, her guide, I guess everybody has like mm-hmm, someone uh, assigned mm-hmm. to them to be their guide kind of holds their hands. And it's actually yeah. a great piece of dialogue, by the way. I don't know if it's from the book from the, the writing staff of the show, I should actually track it down because I really liked that bit of dialogue about how, you know, holding hands is so intimate. I thought that was a very uh, good piece of writing, you know, that she basically comes to calm her down to make sure she's not seriously contemplating mm-hmm. suicide there. But what's interesting is then that episode kind of reveals that apparently she has had uh, suicidal uh, episodes and maybe the son also had, you know, inherited mm-hmm. this potentially. So now there's some kind of guilt possibly that she feels. But then the, the the daughter has this great confrontation being like, I'm okay. You guys are the ones who are messed up. Like, stop trying yeah. to fix me. You guys are the ones who are, you know, still not dealing with this, right? And uh, so I thought that was, you know, it, it basically I'm always like when I kind of don't get what I expect. And uh, like I said, I kind of had a, a very uh, stereotypical expectation for what was going to happen. And those interactions weren't part of it. And it gets even more so when we see, you know, what happens to the dad in the, in the next episode, right? Yes. But uh, yeah, but I liked all that stuff. Like to, to your point, I liked, uh, you know, all the uh, uh, the directions that all those interactions went. Yeah. So they have that, uh, they, they, the, that burial scene, which obviously traumatizes uh, everybody, but spe- I mean, some people just like, you know, uh, Melissa McCarthy does not seem to be taking it. Francis doesn't seem to be taking it that seriously. She kind of mm-hmm. just wants to, uh, doesn't want to get dirty. <laughs> that's, mm-hmm. that's, that's her big concern. And uh, you know, while um, some of the other folks are kind of just going with it, like Luke Evans, like Lars character, he seems to just be like, whatever, you know, he just uh, yeah. does, you know, mm-hmm. does whatever, just gives it a shot. sees how, how it goes. And, um, and I do think that um, Jessica, I guess Jessica, right? S- Summer Weaving's character, mm-hmm. that she, she does seem to, tr- she seems to be trying to, to, to have this, um, uh, some revelations there. Uh, and actually she discusses it in the next episode when they go on that forging uh, exposition, uh, ex- expedition, I should say. Who has a one-on-one? Oh, it's, uh, it's uh, Jessica has the one-on-one with Masha that episode, right? Mm-hmm. And she's like talking about all these different things. But then Masha basically says what you really are concerned with. She goes like, why doesn't he love me anymore? Right. So her real concern yeah. is about uh, the relationship mm-hmm. with her husband. Right. So we kind of get to the bottom of that. We kind of we, we we didn't feel like they were have you know, they were in the best of places before. But, you know, I guess that just makes it explicit, explicit, I should say, in, in that confrontation with uh, with uh, Masha. That reminds me of another scene from episode one. What do you make of that? sequence where we see uh michael shannon napoleon uh go to the (laughs) The hot springs to the hot springs and then they have that kind of you know he's talking way too much and you know Mm -hmm. it's it's a pretty Mm -hmm. funny scene but then there's that moment where he kind of like checks her out a little too hard and the husband reacts like what purpose do you think that scene is doing in the show because it's kind of weird at that moment to have that whole interaction yeah good question i don't really know um I, I thought maybe this scene was just telling us about the awkwardness of his character, right? Because right. first of all, if you come up upon a couple in the hot springs, 
you kind of, um, at least I would uh, conclude they're trying to have a romantic moment here. And right. even if I had my heart set on the hot springs, I'm going to have to come back later because I don't want to be the third wheel in that situation. But he just makes himself at home. Um, and, you know, and even talks about how awkward he can be sometimes and how right. he's constantly stepping in it. So I kind of just saw it as maybe an extension of his awkwardness. Um, and there are references, right, to... Um, later in the the series about how he and his wife have not really been having sex. Right. Um, so maybe, you know, it's kind of on his mind. Um, and, you know, maybe also to show that uh, whatever's going on between Jessica and her husband, there is still something there where he's protective of her and, right. you know, I, you know, cares about their relationship, maybe. Although, you know, for some guys that would just be ego anyway and wouldn't necessarily speak to how they feel about their partner, I think. I think right at the beginning of episode three, by the way, they have a very awkward sex scene, which is pretty funny. That, that whole conversation, which I'm not going to go into here because it's pretty explicit. Yeah, but it was pretty, it pretty funny. Uh, you know, like talking about the standards of yes. expectation. It was funny. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I kind of it, it got like a strange conversation, though, for a married couple to have because you think right. you kind of know where the other stood on that issue. But yeah, it right. was very funny. Well, maybe you never had to have that conversation before, right? So, yeah, maybe, maybe. <laughs> So, yeah, so I think that pretty much wraps up episode two. They go well, on. I'll just yeah. um, backpedal yeah, for one second yeah, that we do, do have the very humorous choking on a grape scene. Oh, my goodness. Absolutely. <laughs> totally forgot about that. And I want, I was going to, I almost brought it up all the way at the beginning of our conversation <laughs> and then forgot it here. But yeah, go ahead. Go into it. Yeah. I mean, it really was, um, you know, Melissa McCarthy is trying to relax and she, in fact, is so relaxed that she's fallen asleep. And, uh, Francis and uh, Bobby Cannavale just eating his grapes, I guess thinks, um, and you know, I would never have this thought process, but thinks, I wonder if I could make that shot and yeah. <laughs> shoots the grape right into her mouth and ends up having a Heimlicher. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, it is kind of infuriating that somebody would put you in that situation when you're unconscious, but she seems to deal with it fairly, fairly well, considering it was like a near-death experience. So, <laughs> um, and, you know, as he says, I could take that shot all day. It was never going to go in, <laughs> but it did. So, I like how they play the whole thing out too, where it's like literally his first attempt. It's not even like he's just doing it to yes. pass the time. It's like, just like a random, like, let me just try this. And it goes right in. She starts choking to death. <laughs> And he tries to play it off. I don't oh my know. God, him trying to play it off is the funniest thing where she goes like, she goes, is that a grape? And he's just like, where did these grapes come from? And it's like a pile <laughs> of grapes. <laughs> he's trying to play it off like, oh, I don't know where those grapes could have possibly come from. It's like, oh, you mean so the giant strange. pile over there? <laughs> so yeah, and then they're there. They're basically in the pool together because they are, she just doesn't like the physical activity in general. And right. uh, he has, uh, you know, pain uh, and he doesn't have his pain meds yes. with him. They took his pain meds away. So he's basically just like, I'm not going to uh, put myself through any of these um, uh, physical activities. But also yes. in episode two, before we move on to episode three, also in episode two, we do finally find out Nicole Kidman's backstory, which in the book is the opening sequence of the book. And not as dramatic, by the way, there's no shooting <laughs> in the book. Oh, the okay. No. But we find out, according to uh, Nicole Kidman, uh, reveals to the rest of the folks that she had a near-death experience, that she had been a corporate CEO, also in the book, the same thing. And she, in the book, she simply has like a heart attack. She just, you know, has a, some kind okay. of stress-related stress episode of some kind. 
In the show, apparently, she made the wrong kind of enemy, and someone tried to kill her, mm-hmm. shot her in a parking lot. And then basically the EMT showed up to rescue her. And uh, Yao, uh, the mm-hmm. Manny Jacinto's character, was one of the people, uh, the paramedic who, who saved her. Uh, and they've, you know, we don't know exactly how, but they've been bonded since then. And she, he actually is working with her here on this. Uh, and she's, he's basically her right-hand person, right-hand man, uh, you know, it, it, her, her main assistant. And he is in a relationship with um, Delilah, uh, the Tiffany Boone's character. And, um, uh, and they basically are the two most prevalent, uh, more, most important um, partners uh, to uh, Masha. They really keep this place operational. And Tiffany was the, uh, Tiffany Boone, I should say, Delilah uh, was the one who, um, when we, back when I was mentioning that Heather was kind of standing on that precipice and maybe contemplating suicide, which potentially she has contemplated before. She's the one that kind of went there and soothed her by holding her hand and kind of talking her through. But also, there is still something weird going on between Masha and Yao, because you see that scene in the swimming pool where he says that Delilah is jealous and doesn't really understand their relationship. And she says, we'll always be connected because of that experience, which all of that is well and good. But then she starts, you know, kissing his legs, right, which is kind of intimate. So I'm not entirely sure what the whole deal is there. Well, I, I got the impression there when she was saying that she had to learn to share. I, I assume that they were still having an intimate relationship of some kind. And uh, I mentioned this to Kim also. And apparently in the book, it, it's the same. So that I think that there okay. is, he's basically, you know, uh, physically involved with both of them still, I believe. Okay. Uh, and I think that's, I, I assumed the same thing from seeing their interaction. And that's why she was talking about, I think when he was talking about them being, her being uncomfortable still. Um, and she goes, well, you know, you have to make her feel loved. I don't think she was just talking about, you know, like her being jealous because they have this connection. I felt uh-huh. like it was probably a physical relationship that they uh-huh. were still ongoing, like a, you know, a romantic triangle of some kind. Oh, and you know what we didn't discuss? <laughs> this is how disinterested we are in this whole Nicole Kidman thing. The text messages she's been oh, receiving. Yeah. Oh, I was gonna, I was gonna throw that out there because I think that's like the cliffhanger on the last episode, right? Is no, that? But she, in the first episode, she gets the text of like, "This is your last week on Earth" or something like that. Oh, that that was probably the. I was trying to think about what you know. Each one of these episodes has kind of had like a button at the end. I was trying to think of what the button was. That might have been the button on the, on the first episode was her getting this text message saying, "This is like you're basically your last." Um, yes. And yeah, so that actually ties into these conversations she starts having with the staff because she is trying to figure out who might be sending these text messages. And, you know, she has a list of possible suspects. She goes, it could be her ex-husband. It could be apparently somebody. There's somebody that had a bad experience at the resort and the family is uh, suing her. And mm-hmm. that's important, I think, is the family's doing it, right? So did the person not survive potentially, right? Mm. So um, anyway, so that's a possibility, she says as well. And there's, and then like, I guess, you know, she also was shot at, <laughs> I mean, and at least in the context right. of the show, right, someone right. tried to kill her previously. So yeah. it's the same person again. Right. Um, so that there's those aspects to it, which I think also is invented for the show. So maybe they're just trying to add a little more drama here. In the midst of all this, we uh, see um, Francis is basically wanting to bail. And, mm-hmm. um, and this is when uh, we see, um, Masha talking to the staff yes. and basically saying like, we need to accelerate things and um, change Delilah, the protocol, change the protocol. That's right. Or a new <laughs> protocol, right? They're experimenting with a new or protocol. Or move your protocol too, something yeah, like that. Right. Yeah. And Delilah is very concerned about this change of protocol. And I yeah. think at this point, it's pretty explicit. I don't know if it, at this point, the show is still playing peekaboo with the fact that they're being drugged, but I think it's pretty explicit at this point 
uh, if not within very early the next uh, episode. But um, Masha is uh, basically saying, you know, we got we have to accelerate things because we need all of them. We can't let Francis leave. Uh-huh. And apparently she thinks that if she accelerates this um, process, that then uh, that will kind of um, get them to stay if they maybe they start seeing more results. And uh, oh, yeah. And uh, Delilah is um, not on board with this. She thinks it's dangerous. And she says they're not detoxed yet. They need to detox further. Mm-hmm, before. Mm-hmm. And I guess that kind of goes back to them taking all those blood tests, like you mentioned before. And then uh, I guess that leads us to episode three. And they we have a very uncomfortable, <laughs> very uncomfortable breakfast sequence here. Mm-hmm. You have um, a few things happen here. One is you see that Tony, Bobby Cannavale's character, is annoyed that he doesn't have his drugs. And uh, they do bring him one pill in the morning, but he feels like it's not sufficient. And I, uh-huh. I guess if he's taking, if he's popping these all day, maybe they cut his dosage down because they want to detox right. him. Uh-huh. Or maybe he's just having way fewer of these than he normally does. So he's, either way, he's going to be in a lot of pain. And they have their smoothies, uh, uh, you know, in the morning uh, with a new concoction in them. So they start to almost instantly start having reactions to these. And they're, as part of this accelerated detox, they tell them they're all going to go foraging, but this is uh-huh. kind of an excuse to just keep them from eating all day long uh-huh. <laughs> because the goal <laughs> seems to be to keep them occupied at all costs <laughs> and not allow them to eat anything at all. So, um, but they do end up eating something at the end of the, by the end of the episode. Uh-huh. And early on, you know, spoiler alert, uh, early on in the episode, we see that Masha has a pet goat that she yes. apparently is very affectionate for. I guess we have no explanation as to why she's so attached to this thing, I guess, right? Uh, we just get introduced to it at the beginning of this episode, I believe. And then um, uh, it will turn up by the end of the episode again. Yep, Chekhov's goat. <laughs> Chekhov's goat, that's right. <laughs> um, and then uh, <laughs> Chekhov's goat, that's a good one. And Thank then, you. <laughs> and uh, they wrap up. I, the, I think she gets yeah. another text message too, right? While she's with the goat. Oh, um, yes, saying, she I'm goes for you, something like that. Yeah, she goes to dive uh, off. Uh, we see her dive, I think, at the very beginning of the episode, right after she meets the goat, then she goes for a dive uh, off of a very high cliff. Uh, and uh, which is interesting because she runs up to a cliff when she gets the first text message. Then she dives off of this cliff and then someone basically records her doing this and sends it to her as a as a as a text later. And uh, yeah, so it's someone stalking her, obviously. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, she still doesn't know who it is because anonymous texts are coming in anonymously. And, uh, you know, she even suggested earlier that she can, you know, potentially go to the police, but they don't think that police are going to help them. I guess they've had some bad interactions with the police before, just Mm. don't trust them for whatever reasons. After that, we have this tense breakfast that goes on with um, not only, oh, is Bobby Cannavale on edge because he's not taking his meds, but on top of that, you have you have uh, Lars is, you know, once again, needling everybody at the table. Antagonizing everyone, yes. (laughs) And uh, literally at that point, uh, Carmel, uh, Regina Hall's character, like leaps across the table. Yes. (laughs) It tries to strangle him. So this is like a, a, uh, like, this is like not, not, not the best way to start the day. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, But then they do have this um, uh, potato sack race, which Yao tells them, you know, you shouldn't skip this one. Everybody loves this. Everybody's favorite activity. But it seems that since there's nine of them, they kind of almost know that someone's going to bail out. And that it turns out to be uh, um, Francis again bails out right. on, on this. Mm-hmm. Uh, so which gives them a nice four and four, like uh, a team building exercise. And we start seeing some of those, well, maybe not Bobby Cannavale, right? Because he's been kind of paired up with uh, Francis up until now. But we kind of see these um, uh, duos breaking uh, breaking up uh, or forming, I should say, mm-hmm. um, in, in these uh, during the contest. 
And, uh, and then they have this kind of fun potato sack race, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, Jessica wins it by uh, doing cartwheels. <laughs> I'm not sure yes. if that actually is a faster way to, to, to accomplish that, that, that feat, by the way. Well, I think you're going to cover more ground faster. So, right, because you don't have to make those little jumps. You True. can use your arm span to get some distance. And I guess you get the <laughs> momentum going too, right? So. Yeah, as well. Yeah. So I, I don't, strangely believable to me that this will work. <laughs> so yeah, with her d- interesting technique, she, she wins the, uh, yes. uh, and then this is kind of where uh, Tony gives away his, uh, who he yes. is because he celebrates. And yes. this is when we finally find out, uh, or soon thereafter, we find out that he uh, was a tight end. Right. Was it for the Jets? Like, I think they may actually use an actual oh, team. I, I forget. The team. I, I mean, know. I think they actually used an actual team, but I can't remember which one it was. Uh, and um, they, uh, uh, but basically it was a tight end, got his knees got, got shattered during a tackle. Yes. And uh, basically he's been on meds. And it's not just that he's addicted to the painkillers. I think he also is somebody who kind of was great at something, was famous for that thing, was exceptional at it. And then he just doesn't have an identity anymore, minus that thing. And maybe that is why he uh, is become a good match for Francis. He even tells that to her, right? That he's like saying that, you know, at one point he explicitly says that after she finds out his true identity, he basically says the same thing to her going like, look, you know, uh, I went through what you did, right? Where, you know, you're known for something and you just, mm-hmm. you, know, you just have to get over it. So I think that's kind of how they're, you know, I think there's going to be, uh, you know, smoothies, <laughs> blends made of these characters. And then maybe that's the intention of the show. And I think that's kind of maybe how they are going to align. But um, yeah, so he celebrates after the uh, winning the uh, the potato sack race. And then they go on this forage. And supposedly they're going to have plenty to eat as they go foraging. Yes. And they find nothing. They find some nuts. They find one avocado. <laughs> right, because it's too early in the season That's right. for all of the fruit trees that they were promised, which certainly the staff had to know that. And then we have uh, two main sequences, maybe the two main sequences, uh, you know, character uh, events of the show so far, which is the women going on their forage and mm-hmm. they end up at a, you know, in a, at a pond or a pool uh, some of them go skinny dipping, right? That's mm-hmm. Deli- Delilah goes skinny dipping and that encourages Heather to go as well. Mm-hmm. And the rest of the women, I don't think any of the other women go skinny dipping, but they all go and they kind of start to reveal themselves to each other, right? So what mm-hmm. did you think about this sequence? I really liked here the interaction between Carmel and Jessica. Yeah. Where, you know, first of all, Jessica has that impulse of uh, seeing something really beautiful and she's uh, doing that gesture of like feeling her pockets. Where's my phone? Where's my phone? I want to take a picture, which I am not an influencer and I have done the same thing. So, um, so I think that's just kind of become part of our society is trying to record things, even if not for other people, just for ourselves. Right. So, um, but she, first of all, she's already made the comment to Jessica earlier when, you know, she says, where did you learn to do that? I was a cheerleader. Gee, she says, and roll, gee, Carmel says, and rolls her eyes. Right. So she's already expressed this disdain from Jessica, which though a person that's not that sharp might let that comment fly by, I think. Right. And, you know, not recognize the sarcasm and disdain in it. But we realized later that Jessica did pick up on that. And, um, and then later, you know, she's feeling for her phone and Carmel makes the um, sarcastic, like, yeah, you know, if you can't 
put it on social media, it didn't happen, right? right? With like an eye roll type of thing. And, you know, Jessica finally reaches her limit and says, F off. So, or go F yourself or something to that effect. Right. Um, so all of that just seems like, you know, everyone's kind of on edge and bizarrely hungry, even though they haven't been eating. It's not like they've gone days without eating, but everyone's <laughs> yes. hungry. So, exactly. um, so, you know, you kind of excuse it, but then when they're all sitting together, Carmel has this moment of honesty about why she dislikes Jessica. And because, you know, she had previously said that she quit her job on Broadway when she got married and got pregnant because her husband didn't want the kids raised by the nanny. And then you find out that the husband left her for a younger woman. And Jessica is like the embodiment, right, of, right. of all of that. And that's where this anger towards Jessica is coming from. And she does um, feel apologetic about it. And I thought that was really nicely done. I think she also feels apologetic, I think, because uh, Jessica kind of reveals herself first, right, where she's talking about how she's almost like admiring of all these women and like finds yes. them beautiful. Right, I forgot right? about that. Yeah, she kind of like, uh, and they're like, what are you talking about? Like, you're so beautiful. And she can't appreciate her own beauty. Yeah, but I, I did I like the way that all played out between them. Oh, and uh, uh, like, uh, it was pretty interesting uh, was uh, Heather and her daughter's interactions were also very good. I like how she's like, you know, this is, you know, very much like a parenting type thing where uh, her mother's like, you know, she's like reacting to like, oh, mom, I don't want to see you naked. Yes. And, uh, the, and the mom's like, kind of like, you know, uh, like t telling her daughter, like, oh, you should show your body. It's so beautiful. And she's like, ew, mom. <laughs> yes. Which is very realistic, right? Exactly. Because like, yeah, your, par like your parents always. Your parents? That exactly. is horrifying. Exactly. And it's exactly <laughs> how that relationship is, right? Where like you're, uh, you know, you as uh, a teenager, especially, or, I mean, she's 21 now, supposedly, according to the show, but she's, you know, like basically an adolescent practically that she's like, oh my God, like you do not want to see your parents in any kind of like uh, sexual context. Yes. And then of course, you know, like as a parent, you're like, you know, you think you own the kid, right? You've seen this child from, from birth, right? So yes. like this, but it's, it's very funny. That interaction is very real. And it seems that the meds are having a very strong um, reaction on, uh, Heather seems to be having the, the strongest reaction to the meds at, the, at this point. Um, meanwhile, these women are having this kind of very uh, uh, beautiful kind of uh, gentle interaction. Yeah, yeah, it's a very strong bonding event. And I guess the men are bonding too, but in a very mm, different yeah. way. <laughs> They're all very angry for not having food. <laughs> and uh, as a matter of fact, they stumble upon that goat. And uh, mm -hmm. then uh, the tight end, <laughs> you know, Tony. Oh, by the way, uh, because this is an Australian book set in Australia, uh, the uh, uh, he's a rugby player in that the, makes sense, in yeah, the, in the original book. Uh, but anyway, so um, Tony, uh, uh, you know, basically, he, he you know, maybe because of the meds or whatever, but he is able to put on his uh, you know, uh, put on his moves and he's actually able to like catch catch the goat, which is no, no small feat, especially if you have a bad knee. <laughs> but um, uh, yeah, he still got his moves, yeah. And we assume when he shows up at the end of the uh, show with the goat uh, draped over his shoulders that he's the one who had. Uh, killed uh, the goat, but we find out later on that he wasn't the one who killed the goat. And I right. guess I'll save that for the last scene. But they, uh, you know, the women show up and they're all like, ah, what a lovely, relaxing day. And the men show up and they're like, we killed something. <laughs> so the women are kind of like, oh my God, <laughs> what's going on over there? So, and I uh, did like um, Masha's bit of like, acting completely unfazed yeah. to their faces but then when she turns around you see on her face she's like what on earth <laughs> and she's also upset about it right because it turns out that's yeah. not only like she's kind of like maybe this thing's off this the rails but, 
it's her yeah. goat, right? It's her yeah. kid. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <Okay>. uh. <laughs> <laughs> but um, <laughs> but before that, you know, before the, the, the things get violent with the men, they uh, do have a few uh, revelations of their own. They this is when they finally confront him about him his reality, you know, his um, identity as um, yes as the the tight end for for that team. So now they realized who he was, and then he talks about how he kind of felt lost after he lost this thing that he was so good at. And then uh, we also discover, once again, Lars is not telling us anything, so we still don't know what his backstory is. We're still waiting to find that out. But we do find out from Ben that he, uh, kind of the opposite of what, um, you know, um, Tony's talking about, not someone who like achieved something and then lost it, that uh, Ben, on the other hand, won the lottery. And he just has everything he wants, but it is empty to him because he feels like he, um, you know, like he basically got something without earning it. Right. So I think that that is his onus that he's carrying. I was wondering, was it clear to you whether he met his wife before or after he won the lottery? It's not clear, but I have a suspicion that he is having this kind of like, Oh, I'm rich. I get whatever I want. And now he might be including his wife in that. And that might be- It all feels empty. Yeah, so he might, that might be what the underlying issue with the wife is, possibly, it's my guess. Mm. But I don't think that they explained that. But I mean, Uh if he was working at, I'm assuming, you know, if she was, you know, she's attractive and she was an influencer, I don't know if she was before she met him or not, but it's very possible that he, you know, only met her because he was some rich guy hanging out at these clubs and buying drinks for everybody, et cetera. And then like now he might feel like that whole relationship is tainted in a way, right? Possibly. Right. So, uh, but yeah, we don't know all the details of that, but we do know that he has this kind of um, emptiness in his life because he feels like he has everything he wants, but didn't earn it. So that makes him feel lesser. Right. Which is an interesting psychology to explore. And I'm sure we'll get into it more because we haven't really had those one-on-ones with him yet. Yeah. And then they, you know, then the whole sequence happens with the goat. And, um, and like you said, Nicole Kidman plays it off great. She's like, all like, oh, well done. That's exactly what I wanted. (laughs) (laughs) And of course, she not only turns around and goes like, oh my God, this might be off the rails, but she (laughs) apparently had a, you know, you know, an emotional connection to this animal. Yes. Uh, But then they prepare it. They prepare it like a luau, right? Yeah. (laughs) There's that great shot of the goat, like completely Uh, opened up like. (laughs) Eek on the spit. Yeah. Uh. And it's hilarious because, you know, that's exactly how you would prepare it. But I like the reaction of everybody kind of being like, oh, I eat meat. I just don't expect to see it. (laughs) I am a hundred percent of that camp. I don't even feel comfortable with chicken on the bone. Like I, I don't want it to resemble anything like what it looked like when it was alive. So I I get the hypocrisy of it and I get the feeling behind it. (laughs) But then they have a big luau, they have a big meal, uh, which might not be great for their current protocol, who knows, but, um, and then there's two big things that happen here. One is that there's a character beat and then the other one is kind of like the cliffhanger for the rest of the show. But the first one is that we see um, Napoleon, uh, Michael Shannon's character, yes. that he basically finally has this emotional breakthrough. Oh, by the way, I skipped it, that he has, this is his one-on-one episode with yes. Masha. And yes. in that episode, she actually does something very clever, by the way, where she tells him to think of his son. And he's like, oh, I'm not going to do that. And she goes, oh, think of anything you want to think of a teapot, think of whatever you want to think of. But of course, she knows he's going to think of his son now because mm-hmm. she's incepted in his mind, right? Yes. <laughs> and uh, and then he has this kind of moment and he gets uncomfortable and leaves. But yes. then he finally has this breakthrough moment when he's yes. at the luau where he kind of is blaming himself to just be like, you know, if I just gotten up at the same time mm-hmm. he was up all night, 
watching movies with his son the day before his birthday. Mm-hmm. And he just hit the snooze bar because he's like, who cares? I'm going to yes. sleep in tonight. I'm tired. And it's exactly the type of thing, right? Where you think back on yourself like I, and, and maybe there was nothing he could have done, right? And, and he even blames himself because he literally earlier on was mentioning how, or actually, it's, I guess it's in this same speech. He mentions that sometimes when teenagers, he's obviously done a lot of reading on this, have this impulse to commit suicide. It's like a, a flashing, a, a passing yeah. moment, a fleeting thought. And uh, and it never comes back again. So on the one hand, you could say, oh, well, if, she, if he was really going to do this, then he was really going to do this. But in his mind, he's probably saying like, what if this was just a fleeting thing? And if I had just been there that morning to wake him up, then it wouldn't have happened then. And if I had avoided it, then it never would have happened at all. Right. And then or kind of, it's the yeah. idea that he says um, about people who uh, fail at suicide, when you ask them what their thought was immediately after the attempt, they say that they thought, oh my God, what have I done? Right. And right. so that if he had intercepted it somehow, you know, right at that precise moment, he would have had that, oh my God, what was I going to what was I trying to really do here? And it would have never come back, that feeling. Right. I think you're absolutely correct. He, yeah. I think that when he starts talking, it sounds like he's saying random things, but I think you're absolutely correct. On the one yeah. hand, he's saying, what if, like, basically he's asking himself out loud, what mm-hmm. if this was a passing, fleeting thought? Yeah. And if mm-hmm. I had, you know, prevented yes. him from having that thought that day, it wouldn't have happened mm-hmm. at all. And then, like you said, what if, on the other hand, I walked in and he was doing it? But because mm-hmm. I got there just in time to rescue yes. him, then he would have had yes. that thought in his mind, like, oh my God, what have I done? Yes. And then because he was interrupted, he would never do it again. So once again, he's like, I could have been there to stop this, right? And uh, yeah, anyways, it's very powerful and, scene. And, I mean, the pain of that, right? Because yeah. you never will know the answer. Absolutely. And practically speaking, he could be right, right? right. Like, it, I mean, it, it, it may have in all of the alternate universes that could exist, it may have ended out that way. And to feel that way as a parent, especially, I mean, I can't even imagine. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's all very, very tragic. And then, uh, you know, they have this breakthrough and Heather and him seem to be bonding and it seems to be a very healing moment. And then Heather, sharp as she is, she's like, wait a second. I had that whole weird emotional, like, she's like, I've never, you know, I, 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 you know, I've struggled with depression and suddenly I'm like sitting here with these women being like, I'm having the most wonderful experience of my life. And now my husband is suddenly having this breakthrough at dinner mm-hmm. and she turns to Mosh and goes, hold on a second. Are you medicating us? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then dun, dun, dun. Yeah. <laughs> to be continued. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I I definitely am interested to see what happens next, for sure. Yeah, I'm curious to be like, you know, if this revelation happens, like, are they all just going to, I mean, theoretically, they could all just bail right now, but I guess they don't because there's five more episodes of the show. (laughs) So so I am curious to see what happens. Pretty safe assumption, yeah. (laughs) By the way, that does seem like a big cheat to me. I got to tell you that, you know, if I was on board with this, even if this is going to be like one of these, like, you know, uh, they have those, um, uh, whatever, those men's get getaways where you have like the primal screaming and stuff and you come yes. to terms with you like, if if they're like, oh, by the way, you had all those breakthroughs because we drugged you the whole time. I'm like, isn't that cheating? Come on, like, is your program just getting us drugged up? That's, it doesn't well, really. You know what? But what about that whole idea of like, I, I'm going to say it wrong, Ayahuasca, something oh, like Ayahuasca, that. Ayahuasca, yeah, yeah. And like the, um, it, uh, American Indian idea of like sweat, sweat lodges, lodges yeah. and yeah, I mean, yeah, it's not um, 
it's not without precedent, the idea oh. that by altering your brain chemistry, you can experience these breakthroughs, right? Oh, oh no, absolutely not. I mean, as a matter of fact, you know, like uh, LSD was originally like proven back in the 1950s to be like a cure for, you know, psychosis and mm -hmm. um, uh, depression and, uh, uh, you know, um, uh, uh, all these different neuroses. And that's what they were investigating it for. And then like the whole war on drugs and the hippie movement and stuff, you know, made it a dirty word. But right now there is, there are multiple places where you can go overseas mostly, but here in the US and some places as well, where you can actually go on like a guided trip. And these people mm -hmm. are, you know, having huge breakthroughs in like, you know, chronic people who have like lifelong uh, bouts of depression who are cured. So I'm not saying that this wouldn't work. My, my concern is if I go on a peyote trip or something, like I am opting into that. <laughs> someone's well, not, yeah, someone's not some dosing me. Yeah. <laughs> someone's not dosing me in my breakfast. Like, <laughs> yeah, that's fair. That's what I, I signed up for. Print. I feel like people didn't read I, that release just got shoved in front of them. I mean, yeah. people seem kind of confused by like, no, you agreed to give up your phone. So it could have been in there. <laughs> true. It could be in there. That's true. That's true. They're going to be maybe and maybe they are being dosed with LSD, by the way. They seem to be having psychedelic experiences. So maybe it could is be. Who knows? Um, maybe that will be the, uh, the what, what it, oh, oh, I, I don't know. I, I have a feeling that they probably have like more specific concoctions than that. But, uh, but yeah, anyway, if I found out that I was just being dosed the whole time, I would be a little bit annoyed. I mean, now if that was uh, in the, you know, if that was the, the pitch, <laughs> I'm right. not necessarily no, against that's it. A, I'm it's just a valid point. It's a valid point you're making. Yeah. But um, yeah. So where do you think, uh, you know, just, uh, uh, you know, I'm sure there are plenty of spoilers out there because this is a book that exists. Although from what Kim is telling me, the book is pretty different, drastically different from this, what we're yeah. seeing here. Mm -hmm. But what do you expect near-term, uh, long-term, uh, you know, kind of where are we going with all this? You know, I always struggle with this because um, the part of watching it to me is just like enjoying it as I see it and not speculating all right. that much. So I don't really have any hypotheses right now as far as where it's going. Um, you know, I'm concerned that it's going to take a, a left turn into something too bizarre for me. Like I yeah. want it to stay kind of at this level of revealing things about people and whatever. I, I don't want there to be some like, and then it turns out there's a coven of witches and then I, you know, like <laughs> that kind of thing. Um, I, I hope it stays on this level of just discovering more about the inner workings of these people. But um, there is something to the idea, right, where she's like, it has to be this particular group of nine people. Yeah. And, and so something's going to happen. What do you think? First of all, to, to your original point, I actually am enjoying it purely as it is. And I, I don't think it's going to be that outlandish. I think it's going to be pretty, okay. <clears throat> I think it's going to be pretty um, uh, down to earth. What, and I'm pretty yeah. sure that um, as far as, you know, um, I mean, I'm sure there'll be more drama, but I don't think there's going to be anything like supernatural or anything crazy like that going on, um, especially because of the source material. Although, yes, that's a fair point. Yeah. But but this is why I said, although that apparently like Big Little Lies didn't have a murder mystery in it, but they threw the murder mystery in there to, you know, once again, you have to throw one of those in there to make to, to be a hook. Uh -huh. So it's possible that this has been restructured enough to put mm -hmm. in more elements to, to um, like, I think the stalker thing is not in the books, for example. Right. So maybe mm -hmm. there are there is going to be some uh, additional heightening that, you know, for a TV audience. But I think at its core, I think it's really going to be about these folks, although I do think there's something more here. I don't think it's nefarious. I don't think it's she's trying to like blackmail all of them or whatever, because then she could let some people go. I think she is legitimately trying to 
you know, like you were saying, like, you know, she has some theory that these people together, based on whatever system she she's devised, devised in the community itself, right? So like I said, whether they're going to explicitly have Masha in the next episode uh, assign them somebody or whether they're going to pick each other and they've already kind of started to form pairs, I think that's part of her formula, right? Is to have these uh, these people like kind of have, you know, ownership of each other. And that's part mm-hmm. of this healing process. But mm-hmm. I think that's about it. I don't think that there's going to be some kind of crazy okay. um, extraterrestrial <laughs> or <laughs> some kind of government experiment going on or something. I, I don't think, right. <laughs> I don't think it's going to be that dramatic, but I'm enjoying it. Like, honestly, it's like kind of uh, like a vacation, right? I'm just kind of just chilling out and listening to these people talk and getting to know them a little bit. And that's my engagement with the show. I'm not, the stakes are very, very low for me. Yes, I agree with way. that. In a good way. But um, I do feel it's, to go bring this all the way full circle, I feel like it's higher stakes than I had than uh, in White Lotus. I agree and disagree. I thought that with White Lotus, the thematically, the stakes are much higher for White Lotus. But I agree that like from a character perspective, these characters aren't like their stories aren't interlocking. I have a feeling, for example, that very much so in this show, it, in Nine Perfect Strangers specifically, that I think that it's about their interactions with each other. It's about the people they become at the end of this. And it's mm-hmm. and like that Masha's plan, whether it's successful or not, I mean, potentially we've seen in the past from some of these clues that things have gone badly before, but that her philosophy is that these people are like healing each other through these mm-hmm. interactions with each other, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> that they collectively are forming a community. Whereas I felt like White Lotus is very different that White Lotus, it's like upstairs, downstairs, like those British type movies mm-hmm. yes. where it's like mm-hmm. a metaphor for society and how like each yes. layer of this society is privileged and how they like impose this privilege on each other. And there's always someone like lower down on that totem pole. And it's just basically a microcosm of culture. Right. And it's not about like um, each one of these people, you know, getting to the heart of their character or something right it's really just about like us witnessing this you know how everybody in that in white lotus now i'm talking about how everybody in that chain of command they all do terrible things to each other and they Uh all are still fundamentally human people who are just trying to make the best of their specific situation right and i think that's kind of the what we're seeing there which is very different than i think the intentions between white lotus and this show and so that's why i'm surprised that there were all these comparisons the intentions between these two shows i find very different i do not think that they have like i said other than the framing device that it's like you know it goes one day at a time very similar yeah. in that regard it's a bunch of people showing up strangers showing up together and then re- having these interactions with each other other than that very big and then of course you you get to know the people the front of the house the back of the house like you know other than that it doesn't even feel like a, a similar program to be honest yeah i agree with you all right. So this is we're like we're way over an hour or so. I <laughs> will save we will save our White Lotus uh breakdown because I I did like White Lotus, I think more than you did. And I think uh, I'd, so too. I'd like to have that conversation about it. But like yep. I said, this, this is where we're already <laughs> we're already yes. deep deep into this episode, which will probably have to be two episodes as it is because it's so long. <laughs> yeah. So uh, I will uh we'll get this one out and then maybe uh as we you know we have plenty more episodes uh of this show to talk about nine perfect strangers. And uh, in that in the midst of that we will also um you know talk about White Lotus. I'm with you. All right. So I had uh, a whole bunch of recommendations in there. If I had to pick one out of all those recommendations earlier, 
You know what I'm going to recommend? Uh, people have probably already, no, that's too easy, I think. I was going to say, uh, my, my original was going to be to, to, to watch The Good Place with uh, Manny Jacinto. Mm-hmm. It was so much fun on that show. Yeah, but That's not my going to be my recommendation because I think that show is pretty, pretty well established. What I would recommend is watching Regina Hall in Support the Girls. Have you ever seen this? I have not. There's a really small low-key movie that came out two or three years ago got a lot of really great reviews but like nobody saw this movie it's a tiny little movie and regina hall plays the hostess at a like a a a restaurant somewhere like you know at a like basically hooters basically but not hooters it's like you know but a a hooters type place and -hmm. she's the manager and she's just trying to like get her kids to school and her mom lives with her and just like all this you know just trying to get her life together. And she's managing all these young girls who work at this restaurant. And all these girls have like all these different personalities and one's trying to go to college. Another one's trying to, you know, support her family. And they have all these like little interactions. And it's basically like a day of them trying to um, make some cash and uh, hustle for a living uh, and, and working at this restaurant. And uh, anyway, it's called support the girls and uh, she's really good in it. And um, anyway, the, all, all the all the ladies in it are really terrific. And it's a really small movie, but definitely worth checking out. And it did get a lot. Like I said, she actually got some award uh, nominations for this. Like some, uh, she was like kind of in the conversation, but it never really, you know, like I said, it, I, I think it, most people just uh, missed it in the movie theaters. And uh, I think you can watch it on Amazon Prime though. And it's definitely worth watching. It's very entertaining and I definitely recommend it. I really like her. I, I find she's very um, fun to watch. What do, uh, do you have any recommendations? You know, I'm in the middle of watching something right now. So let me finish it. And then I will decide whether or not to recommend <laughs> There'll be another it. cliffhanger. So everyone has to <laughs> tune right. in next week yes. to get Sona's recommendation. <laughs> it's the real cliffhanger of the week. Well, you know, for once, it's something that's not 20 years old. So. <laughs> oh, there you go. There you go. All right. Well, thank you so much. We cool. will talk again we only have to wait till what is it wednesday is wednesdays when this thing comes out and that's what i was gonna ask you i think it is wednesday i think it's wednesdays wednesdays or thursdays i'm pretty sure it's wednesday so we will watch again on wednesday anybody out there tune in on wednesday or hey it's on hulu you can watch it anytime you want and um we will probably drop another episode uh early next week with that that's good all right talk to you soon take care all right bye-bye bye